today on Ag News Daily. For magnificent opportunities to, to sort of learn. Producers tend to be most attentive at that time and veterinarians are willing to spend the time uh, after an outbreak to kind of sort out, you know, what happened there. What we kind of developed then was a standardized and kind of comprehensive approach to doing that. Listeners, here we are. January 25th, Thursday edition of the Ag News Daily Podcast. Tanner and Delaney here to hit the latest headlines and bring you a great conversation today, right, Delaney? That's right, Tanner. We've got a good one lined up for today. Yeah, looking forward to that. We uh, have still significant fog here in the Midwest. We are seeing these conditions going to linger. Yesterday was reported that fog was supposed to dissipate late morning, early afternoon. And I think in uh, Iowa, we saw fog nearly all day. That fog is still here this morning. We do see a wintry mix of snow and freezing rains in the forecast for parts of Minnesota and Wisconsin, according to the National Weather Service. This could create a potential for uh, slippery roads, obviously. Dense fog is pretty much expected to cover the area from the Canadian border in North Dakota all the way south to Texas, east into Ohio and Pennsylvania. And uh, that is, again, going to stick around for most of the day today. We don't have the breezes that we usually have here, especially in Iowa, to move this fog and this system out of the area. So visibility could be down to less than a quarter of a mile. Low visibility obviously makes driving conditions potentially hazardous. And if temperatures drop, the fog could become freezing, making road surface slippery. I was out last night and it wasn't quite slippery yet, but I could tell that it was coming today. So be safe to everyone out there who's got to go somewhere today, Tanner. Yeah, it's uh, certainly going to be one that will be sneaky, dangerous if the right conditions come up. Absolutely. But some headlines here from the American Farm Bureau Federation's annual convention this week in Salt Lake City. Zippy Duval is taking the time to share a lot of his opinions, Tanner, about the year ahead. And he said, of course, yesterday or earlier this week that labor was one of the top issues that the farm economy will have to face here in 2024 and beyond. But the biggest roadblock for the farm bill specifically is the budget, which I don't think comes as any surprise to folks listening. Agriculture leaders in the House and Senate are negotiating quietly, he says, over new elements for the new farm bill, already overdue by four months. He said he feels that they're really putting pen to paper right now. And although the legislation is still a struggle and we're not there yet, it is a resolution of the prolonged struggle over funding the government. During an interview, Zippy called for the passage this spring of a modernized farm bill with commodity supports that reflect the increased cost of production. He said that in particular is urgent that we get done. He also said that they're continuing to advocate for a unified and speedy farm bill that combines nutrition and farm safety. And he thinks that they are married together for many reasons and that they can find a path forward. Um, that is one of the big headlines here that came out of some remarks there from Zippy Duvall, of course, other remarks related to the immigration labor deal in Congress has been prevalent at the conference this year, and also debates on tax or 
interest to farm loans. Tanner has been another big topic of discussion at this year's convention. Yeah, absolutely. Getting some really key issues discussed there. Creighton University has released their January Rural Main Street Index. This is a survey of banks and CEOs in the finance industry to uh, look at a 10-state region here in the Midwest and assess rural living conditions. This month's survey was the fifth straight month. The index has been below growth neutral. Ernie Goss, the PhD behind the survey and current uh, owner of this process for Creighton, stated that there is continued pessimism among rural bankers, especially those that are uh, surveyed in rural communities. They look at attributing this to a couple of different reasons. When talking about a weaker agricultural economy, the first thing that comes to mind is higher interest rates. So as Ernie Goss looks at the results of this program, they hit that as their number one item is higher interest rates. So there's a chance rates could go down in 2024, which would be positive for this Main Street Index. As they continue to look at other countries around the world, bank CEOs are citing global economic slowdown as a potential for harming the agriculture industry, specifically China, Asia, and Europe. Bankers are telling the survey and their results that their attitudes towards the economy could be on the rise, while January did boast a higher reading of 48.1 compared to December's 41.7, based upon the news that came out in that period of time. 50, again, to remind our listeners, represents growth neutral. Below that is negative and above that score is positive in the eyes of growth in the agricultural sector. Goss says long-term outlook is still positive with the short to intermediate issues being the ones that are driving the pessimism in those results, Delaney. Well, Tanner, taking a look at the fertilizer markets, Josh Linville of Stonex shared some recent updates here. I wanted to be sure to uh, bring to our listeners as we look at some of the top fertilizer markets. Global urea, he shared, continues to push higher with the demand that has recently stepped forward. However, he said it doesn't feel like an overabundance of demand at this time. When we look at Nala urea, those values have bottomed out at about the 290s range per ton and have recently seen a high near $350. And a couple of other markets here, phosphate DAP specifically has continued to climb and hold steady at these extremely high levels. He said we're seeing uh, New Orleans DAP come up to about $60 per premium, $60 premium to the next highest major phosphate point in the world. As we look at the outlook ahead, he's continuing to watch what's going on in the Black Sea, China, India, Morocco, Saudi Arabia, and the U.S. to see how that trend pushes fertilizer, potash, and nitrogen prices forward. But as of right now, he's not overly concerned about uh, too many of the products aside from phosphate. It doesn't sound like he said, unfortunately, North American farmers doesn't look like there's going to be much help coming before the start of the spring for lower prices. So uh, I guess maybe talk to your local fertilizer person if you still need to book some of your phosphate needs. Yeah, that's a good report. Want to hit on our ethanol like we do every Thursday. 
production shed 22.5%, Delaney. It dropped to an average of 818,000 barrels per day last week. That was down from 1.05 million barrels the week ahead. We had talked about how stocks had reached their highest level in some period of time last week. That is probably the major region reason for that cut. We still see, saw our stocks rise. Ethanol inventories for the week that ended January 19th were 25.815. That's up from 25.965. I'm sorry, I read those numbers backwards. 25.965 is where we currently sit, up from the 25.8. But it's interesting to see why those ethanol stockpiles are continuing to grow. We look and flip over to the oil market. Texas West Intermediate Futures on the New York Mercantile Exchange and Brent crude have continued to see their power pushed higher. After trading yesterday, Wednesday afternoon, the weekly inventory report that came from the U.S. Energy Information Administration saw that domestic crude oil production dropped a million barrels per day. So looking at what had triggered this, possibly also contributing to that production on the ethanol side is the deep freeze that swept through most of the United States. That is uh, probably what affected both markets. But as we see right now, that deep freeze also affected demand, Delaney. It certainly did. And I'll just add, you know, you mentioned that stocks have continued to grow. We know now it's grown for the last eight weeks in a row while production has dropped to a nearly three-year low due to some of the factors that you just shared there, Tanner. So wow. I also had that headline and thought I'd just add a little extra color to that. Nice. But one other final headline I have here is a new electric tractor showcased and unveiled by Kubota at the recent Consumer Electric Show in Las Vegas. Their new agri-concept is a fully electric multi-purpose vehicle that is designed for flexibility and supports a range of different tasks, according to Kubota. They said there's so much technology coming together and automation by itself is only a part of their solution. The new agri-concept provides that autonomy mixed with electric. And now you're also going to be seeing some AI and data mixed into this tractor as well. That's where it becomes an unlock, they said. We want to bring together that latest technology, not just put out new technology. We've heard so many times from farmers that different data systems and technologies only provide a part of the solution. And what's important for Kubota is that we get it right and we provide a solution to the customer, says their senior technologist for Kubota, North America, Brett. McMickle. So that is some exciting news there for Kubota. This vehicle has six independent motors, Tanner, and a three-point hitch that allow it to use many existing implements for common operations, including mowing and tilling. So potentially it might be on the marketplace near you. That's right. And staying on the topic of electric agricultural equipment, Bobcat continues to push ahead in their releases. Their current advanced offerings on the market is a T7X compact track loader. First all-electric skid loader that was debuted in 2022 is now getting upgraded to have the autonomy function. So just like your article with Kubota, Bobcat is working to do the same thing. The machine also doesn't have traditional hydraulic systems. It's greatly reducing the fluid volumes that are on these 
machines, which creates potential issues with worn down hydraulic hoses. When they blow, creates less of an environmental hazard. But we also saw John Deere announced their collaboration partners for 2024. They announced the names of six companies chosen for their 2024 startup collaborator. Their program started in 2019, is in its fifth season. Constellar, a company measuring land service temperature and water using satellites. Geminos is an artificial intelligent company empowering businesses to understand decision-making and the effects of decisions on their operation. SB Quantum, a sensing company for navigational-based magnetometers. Interesting there. Fermata Energy, a leader in vehicle-to-everything bi-directional charging platforms and technology potentially for agriculture. GoFlux, a Brazil-based technology company focused on digital solutions to connect ecosystems and freight systems. Cloudscapes Labs, a production management software that focuses on providing job site visibility for construction teams. So six companies there continuing to push the ag technologies world forward. But that wraps up the headlines I've got today, Delaney. Well, Tanner, I did not have a ton of headlines here on this smoggy day. Is smoggy a word? Because I'm going to use it. Smoggy. We Smoggy is, but it's uh, probably not when you think of natural fog. No, I suppose <laughs> not. Okay. That was the first word that popped into my head, but I'm going to keep moving here because that was a fail on my end. But uh, taking a look at the markets here in the overnight as we get kind of the final trades in here of the overnight, seeing some light, light trade here this morning. March corn up a quarter of a cent at 4.52 and a half. March soybeans up half a cent at 12.40 and three quarters. In the wheat contracts here, Chicago March wheat up a penny and a quarter at 6.12. March hard red winter wheat up six cents at 6.31 and three quarters. And March spring wheat up four and a half cents in the overnights at 7.09. Taking a quick look at livestock and where they'll open on the board this morning. February live cattle will open at a buck 75.35. March feeder cattle will open at 233.75 and February lean hogs, 73.90 on the board this morning. Tanner, we are chatting today with Daryl Holtkamp, a professor of veterinary diagnostic and production animal medicine at Iowa State University to talk about a new outbreak platform that they have recently unveiled with Schick or Swine Health Information Center. So let's turn it over to that conversation with Daryl. Well, listeners, as we look at new tools coming down the pipeline for the livestock industry and more specifically the swine industry, we're chatting today with Daryl Holtkamp, a professor in veterinary diagnostic and production animal medicine at Iowa State University, who's going to be chatting with us today about the new Schick tool that is focused on outbreak investigations specifically related to different diseases, and biosecurity hazards that might be prevalent on your operation. Daryl, thanks for joining us today. Yeah, glad to be here, Delaney. So, Daryl, as we dig into this conversation today, which is the new outbreak investigation instrument that Schick has developed in partnership with Iowa State University, walk us through the history of how this tool came to be. Yeah, so it really goes back uh, over a decade now in the uh, when I started initially working uh, in the area of biosecurity uh, back in 2004, 
was working with a, a survey, a program called PADRAP. It was Production Animal Disease Risk Assessment Program. And it was a survey uh, designed to, to try to, you know, sort out where the gaps in biosecurity were. But I never really felt like we could answer that question very well when we got done with those. And and so I, I kind of started thinking about other opportunities to do that and kind of moved into the area of doing outbreak investigations. And and the reason those ended up being very appealing was they're, you know, they're kind of a crisis, um, or you can think of them as a crisis, at least when you have an outbreak of PERS uh, or now more recently PED virus. And and so those are magnificent opportunities to to sort of learn. Producers tend to be most attentive at that time, and veterinarians are willing to spend the time uh, after an outbreak to kind of sort out, you know, what happened there. And so what we kind of... Uh, it developed then was uh, a standardized, uh, a systematic, and and kind of comprehensive approach to doing that. And so, what it has evolved into then is uh, a way to uh, evaluate what we call biosecurity hazards. So those are things that uh, increase the probability of of having a bio uh, an outbreak, uh, very simply. And um, and so we we kind of got to the point where we felt comfortable with how we were approaching that so that we could identify and then prioritize those biosecurity hazards. And, and the comprehensive part of that is key. So you can't, uh, you can't really get to the prioritization step unless you feel like you've, you've done a good job of covering all the biosecurity hazards. And of course, you're never going to cover all of those in one investigation, but, but over time, uh, we feel like we, we get enough information uh, that we can, we can start to prioritize those and then, and then, you know, devote the resources, time and money and and so forth, uh, to trying to address the most significant biosecurity hazards first. And so that's really kind of the evolution of this. Um, SHIC, the Swine Health Information Center, uh, has been supporting this uh, really since 2015, I think, or, uh, or maybe even a little bit earlier than that, uh, with funding. And we've kind of evolved it over time. We started out with uh, an instrument that helped us do these outbreak investigations, uh, we kind of evolved that into uh, uh, the next step was to bring a, a working group together of swine veterinarians and and uh, went through that uh, really in excruciating detail and and uh, uh, proposed then what uh, we now are calling a standardized outbreak investigation program. And that was um, uh, approved by the ASV, American Association of Swine Veterinarians uh, Board of Directors, uh, in uh, the spring meeting of last year, so 2023. And now we just recently developed a web-based program to deliver that, that we launched uh, in, at the 1st of December last year. So how are our listeners that are our producers going to find value out of the work that you guys put together? Yeah, so the, the real uh, value, Tanner, is, is in uh, identifying the problem. And, and what I mean by that is, uh, again, when, when you look at, when you look, start to look closely uh, at, at how things are done, uh, operational procedures, uh, production, you start to see all kinds of opportunities for uh, outbreaks to occur, right? So the, the, the problems are the what we call, again, the, the biosecurity hazards. And, and so what the approach we take then is we go through uh, all of the what we call entry events. And so entry of semen, uh, entry of feed, even removal of call sows, for example, would be an entry event because the truck and the driver and the trailer arrive to pick up the calls. Uh, all those things, employee entry are all entry events. And so we we organize our uh, uh, the investigation around those entry events. So we, we follow the same order every time. 
Uh, again, we feel like we cover those comprehensively. Um, most of the, the investigations we do uh, on farms, uh, we have comprehensive lists. Occasionally, we'll run into some situations where maybe they have an on-site feed mill, something like that. And so those are some additional entry events there, uh, you know, with the entry of, of feed ingredients, for example, uh, that we have to include. But we generally try to do it in a comprehensive way there. And, and so, again, the idea there is to, to identify those uh, biosecurity hazards. And, you know, we the approach we take is we, we kind of look at it as a, a tripod there. The, the hazards, if you will, the biosecurity hazards lie in, again, the operational procedures. Who does them? When do they do it? Excuse me. When do they do them and how? Uh, but also depends on what we call the structural uh, aspect. So that's the building design layout and, and so forth. And, and then the third uh, part of that tripod is um, is the uh, resources they have to do that. And those resources may be physical. So it may be, for example, a dead cart, uh, uh, something of that nature uh, that, that allows them to move the, the dead pigs to the, to the door we want them to remove them from, uh, those types of things. But the resources could also be non-physical, things like uh, knowledge. So that would be in the form of training, uh, even motivation. You know, those, those types of things are resources. And so what we're looking for then is problems in, in the operational procedures, problems in the, the structural design of buildings and layouts of sites and so forth, and then the resources they have to do those jobs. And so that's where we're looking for the uh, the problems, if you will, the biosecurity hazards. And then uh, after we're done with that, then when we go to look at the control measures to address those, uh, we're looking in the same places, right? What can we do to the, is there anything we can do to the building design? Is there anything we can do to change operational procedures uh, or give them more resources, the employees more resources to to better carry out the, the biosecurity control measures we're asking them to to do. So, Daryl, it mentioned on Chick's website that the center's standardized outbreak investigation program was early introduced in early 2023 with a downloadable standardized outbreak investigation Word document. But now you've transitioned to a web-based application to conduct the investigation. Talk to us a little bit about what the approaches and the things are that they're looking for as they're conducting outbreaks on their farms. Yeah. So, you know, the we've for quite a long time now, we've had that word document and we've made that available to veterinarians and producers. And um, that's how we've approached these outbreak investigations as well. So when we do these, we, you know, we prepare ahead of time. Uh, we try to fill in as much information as we can in that, in that uh, form that was a word document and then we would go take that out to the farm. And oftentimes it was a, a rather lengthy form. So we would punch holes and, and include tabs. And we'd put that in a three ring binder. And, and it was that worked reasonably well. But uh, but we felt we needed to kind of take the next step and, and make that web-based. And so what we now have available to veterinarians and producers is the, this web-based program where they can go on. Uh, we need to take the initial step of setting their company up. But once we have the company set up, We'll set them up as a uh, uh, what we call a company administrator, and, and they can take it from there. They can add other individuals um, th that they would like to give access to the program and their data, uh, and th they can they can take it and set up sites. They can set up uh, outbreak investigations, and and it's designed in such a way that the the sort of the pre uh, pre outbreak investigation work they can they can get on. Uh, enter in things like the dates, uh, those entry events, such as entry of semen, entry of, um, of gilts and things like that, uh, enter dates for those, 
uh, other information about the, the the site. If there's something that's changed, they can enter information about the surrounding area. There's maps uh, in there that they can they can put in. Um, they can actually even do their secure pork supply plans. Uh, the, the maps of the of the sites on there, if they want, it's all kind of uh, uh, less manual than than what has uh, traditionally been done to create those maps. They can actually uh, include those images and then save them uh, electronically, and so they can do all that ahead of time. And then when they go out to the farm uh, to do the investigation, and they don't, you don't have to go to the farm to do those, but we generally do because we find them to be much more effective if you can actually see and uh, what's going on on the farm. Uh, so if they have internet access, they can they can take a, a computer or use a computer on the farm uh, to to open the program up again and then finish the outbreak investigation there. Alternatively, if they don't have internet access, which you still run into on some farms, uh, they can print that uh, pre-populated document that has the information they've entered up to that point uh, as a PDF and take that out uh, and then record things up by paper. And of course, then somebody would have to come back later and type that information into the program. But generally, that's that's the approach we take. When when we go out to do these, um, you know, I've probably done over 70 outbreak investigations now, last several years. Uh, we have a very uh, kind of a, a strict routine that we follow. Uh, when we get there, we'll typically do a tour around the farm, uh, looking at things like the, the loadout chutes, uh, the feed bins, you know, we're looking for feed spills. Uh, you know, is it is it kept nice or do they have a lot of junk around uh, the buildings, things like that, and uh, looking at whether they have a perimeter fence, those kinds of things. And then we go ahead and shower in. And of course, while we're doing that, that's part of the investigation. You know, we're looking at the design of the entryway. You know, is it clean or not? Do they have sort of evidence that maybe people occasionally will throw towels uh, on uh, from the clean side back to the dirty side? Uh, those types of things we're sort of looking as we as we shower in. And then once we get in the farm, uh, after some introductions, we go out and we'll do a tour of the farm. We focus strictly on biosecurity. So looking uh, at uh, the loadout shoots, the, you know, where they bring in supplies, uh, where they take out dead pigs, those kinds of things. And while we're out there, we do have a, a, a little discussion about how uh, they do those. And of course, we can see the structural aspects and too, how the building is designed. You know, if they if they say they're doing, a, for example, a staged loading where, you know, they get all the pigs into uh, to a room before they load them out we can take a look at that room while we're out there. And, and, and oftentimes I, you know, it's easy to see structural problems there. Maybe they, they have a, a, a nice stage loading, loading room set up uh, to hold the pigs waiting for the truck. Uh, and they've created that as a, as a dirty area once they open the, the door uh, to the truck. Um, and then afterwards they, they clean that before they open it back up and we'll transition it back to a clean area. Uh, but the, the consistent problem I see with those um, probably more often than I see it, designed well is those those supply or those, those sorry not supply but the uh, stage loading rooms are designed in such a way that they slope back towards a barn oftentimes the drain is right at the door uh, back into the hallway of the barn and so when they wash that room um, to try to you know create a, another clean area there they're flushing all of that um, anything that might have came off the truck gets flushed back into the hallway of the barn and um, there's oftentimes not a not a good threshold there to, to prevent that and so really easy to identify if you're out there, uh, some of those structural issues. Uh, and then we, of course, we talk a lot about the operational procedures. How do they do them? Who does them? You know, those types of things. So that's generally the approach we take. And, and the whole time, again, we're, we're as we talk, we're, we're looking for those biosecurity hazards. And so the idea is to try to capture 
uh, as many of those as possible. And we do that in a in an open ended way. We don't um, even though if you if you get in and look at that form uh, in the web based program, it looks like a survey. It's not. We don't use it as a survey. Uh, we use it as a means to capture that information and, and in many ways guide our open ended discussion. Uh, about that. And so the the good stuff is in the, the open-ended discussion, you know, the details that uh, you could, you would never predict walking into these uh, uh, these outbreaks uh, that uh, some of the things that people do are, <laughs> are uh, you know, stranger, fact is stranger than fiction it, that, that plays out almost every time. Well, that sounds extremely comprehensive. So if our listeners are curious about what this program is going to evolve into and what the future looks like. Could you tell them how it's best to look up that information? Yeah. So, uh, you know, now that it's web-based, of course, we can have a a database that we start to build. Uh, We do have an agreement that uh, the producers uh, will sign the agreement that outlines uh, what we're going to do to protect their data, keep it confidential. Um, we're going to uh, set it up so it's it's their data. The company will own the data, and so that will, um, you know, head off any any uh, efforts by individuals to to request that data under a FOIA or something of that nature. Um, and so we're going to get all that set up. Uh, we are going to uh, uh, ask them to allow us to use um, anonymized data for research purposes, and. That's what really excites me. I think we can start to learn from our sort of our collective experience uh, with with outbreaks and start to identify, you know, where are the common problems, the biosecurity hazards that show up, you know, and where are the opportunities to to, um, implement control measures, biosecurity control measures uh, to address those then. And I think, you know, those that gets done on an individual basis every time an outbreak investigation gets done. Uh, but it's also an opportunity to start to learn from our collective uh, experience with these. Awesome. Well, thanks again for joining us today. We really appreciate your time. You're welcome, Tanner. Glad to do it. Well, Delaney, I'm not going to lie. That started out over my head, but I'm glad that they took the time to help explain to us what their program looks like. Yeah, that seems like a great new tool here that they're really focused on developing for producers to be able to utilize as well. Absolutely. What do you say, Delaney? We got one more day this week, one more show for our listeners. But for today, should we let them go? Let's let them go. 